You ready for God's word today? You ready? Um, Why don't you grab your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 8. And then if you are a professional Bible turner, then you could turn with me to Romans chapter 8. John chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Now we kicked off a new series of messages last weekend called High and Mighty. High and Mighty. And this is really... The, the burden that I have, this is what I'm trying to communicate. Um, and I want to say this again. I would never say anything to be intentionally offensive. I understand my personality can be edgy, and I really work on tempering it. Um, but um, I think sometimes when you're communicating truth, I like to put a little edge in there um, to, to make a point, and sometimes that could be offensive. And so if you're offended ever at me, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. All right? Um, but But I think that a lot of preaching that I'm hearing today. And when I say this, please understand, I'm not speaking against any preacher, any pastor, any message. I am for them all. If they are preaching the gospel, I don't even care why they're preaching the gospel. If they're preaching, I'm with, I'm, you know, if I, if, like with Paul, I, Hey man, if they're preaching the gospel, they're preaching the gospel. Okay. So I'm not against anybody preaching the gospel. My concern is over the last decade or so, I feel like, um, pastors have more become life coaches, who were trying to use the gospel as a self-help mechanism for people. And now hear me, I think pastors should be inspirational and we should even coach a little bit. And, and I do think the gospel applies to you helping you, right? I mean, there was this person we grew up with and they would quote this as though it were the Bible. It's not in the Bible. They say, you know, the word of God says God helps those who help themselves. No, the word of God doesn't say that, but I believe like you should try to help yourself. You know what I mean? Like I believe God helps you when you can't help yourself. When you get to the end of you, that's where God really shows out the most. But it doesn't mean we, we just don't do anything. So I think there's an application. Like the, the Bible talks about how to have good relationships. The Bible talks about finances. The, talk, the Bible talks about joy and hope and peace and, and, and all the things that, that we need. The Bible talks about those things and it helps with those things. And, and, and that's good. But it's an incomplete application because the Bible tells us of another kingdom that has authority and power over the earth. And my concern is, if I could just say it this way, the Bible and the teachings of Jesus, they don't tell us how to do earth better. They actually tell us how to do heaven on earth. And, and those aren't the same. It's not that we, I think Jesus wants you to do earth better. I do. I think, I think, I think if you do it Jesus way, it's going to go better. Like if you've tried everything else, maybe just try it his way. You can keep swiping right on Tinder and ending up in the same mess, or you could try it his way. I mean, I'm just saying. You can keep charging Visa, or you could try to build a budget and steward and be generous. You could try it his way. So I I do think his way, y'all are a tough crowd today. I think his way is better But it's not that Jesus just came to tell us how to do earth better. He came saying there is this spiritual realm called the kingdom of God that has power to transform and change the earth. To to transform and change your life. To, To transform even you from the inside out. To transform the way you think, the way you live, the way you believe. 
to transform how you believe, what you believe about you and think about you and how you, and there is this power, right? And, and, and there are miracles and there are things that, that happen that transcend the laws of earth. And that's what we're, that's, that's, this is my, like my heart. This is what I'm trying to get across is that like last week when we talked about the law of faith, the law of faith is given because without the law of faith, we are constricted to just the natural realm and its happenings. But with the law of faith, we can actually receive from God what is supernatural. Every miracle in the Bible was an application of the law of faith. Every healing was an application of the law of faith. I was just talking about healing, and I, and I looked at Luke, who's sitting here on, on the front, and and um, not going into a lot of detail, uh, he had been having some dizziness, and we had tried a lot of natural things for the dizziness, and finally I took him to the doctor, and we did blood work and all that, just trying to figure out what's going on with the dizziness. And, and a few weeks ago, in the service, at the end of worship, I just felt like we should pray for people who need needed healing. And when we did, my, my mother happened to actually be standing behind him, and she kind of knew the situation. And so she just reached out and, and prayed for him. And after that, service, he told her, he said, you know, I don't think I'm going to be dizzy anymore. I feel like God's done something. And so, and I didn't even know all this. And so then the other day I said, Hey son, how's, how's it going with the dizziness? Because we're still trying to figure out what's going on. He's like, dad, you know, here's the thing. Like when when we're in the service and you felt like God was going to heal people. And then Nana prayed for me. He said, I just felt like God healed me. He said, I haven't been dizzy since. And this is, that's what I'm talking about. And in, in, instead of just saying, hey, the word of God can give you peace in your dizziness. Like instead of that application, like, no, God can heal what's making you dizzy. D- do you see what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's why I'm teaching this series. And so today that was kind of a long introduction, but I just want you to understand that God is powerful that you are spiritual beings having a temporary experience and there is a spiritual kingdom that has come to earth and that spiritual kingdom has power and it has laws and it has a way that it works that when we apply it, it can change natural circumstances and situations. And that's what I want us to understand because I want you to believe for more and I want you to hope for more and I want you to realize there is more. Like I thank God, you know, for... For doctors, I thank God for medicine. I thank God for for counselors. I thank God for all those natural applications that help us. But I thank God that's not the end either. That he is a supernatural God with supernatural power who can step into a situation and heal and restore and redeem and give you beauty for ashes and joy for mourning and hope when you're hopeless and joy when when you can't see your way out and peace when it doesn't make sense. Like, I thank God for that. Are you with me? So with that, we're going to dive in today to John chapter 8, verse 1. And we're going to look at another spiritual law today. Um, John 8, 1, it says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? 
This they said, testing him that they might have something with which to accuse him because either way he couldn't win. If he said, don't stone her, it was like he was letting her off the hook. And if he, did, he said, stone her, it went against everything that he had lived. And he was, you know, a, you know, basically proclaiming or declaring her death. And so they were testing him. But he stooped down and wrote in the ground with his finger as though he didn't hear. So when they, I was just thinking, I don't know where this came from. I never thought about this, but I'm like, you know, I think sometimes God just pretends not to hear us because what we're asking is dumb. <laughs> Do y'all see that kind of stuff when you read the Bible or is it just me? I mean, I, sometimes I'm like, where did that come from? Like, like I, 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 so maybe we need to thank God for all the times he pretended not to hear us because you were asking for something that was dumb. And you were asking for something that was going to hurt you or hurt somebody else. And God can't not hear. I know that's a double negative. God always hears. But sometimes God pretends not to hear because what you were asking didn't need to be heard. It has nothing to do with the sermon, but I kind of liked it. Thank you, Lord. That helps me. Number seven. <laughs> Number seven. <laughs> Verse seven. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, who is without sin among you? Let him throw the first stone. Come on, just look at your neighbor and say, hey, put your rock down. Put your rock down. Just everybody right now. Before we go any farther in this worship experience, put your rock down. Just put your rock down. We want everybody unarmed. And again, he's, he stooped down and wrote in the ground. And those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one there but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Um, I call this message, you're free to go. You're free to go. Can we pray together? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for its truth. Thank you for its power. Thank you, God, that there is a supernatural answer for every natural problem. There's a supernatural answer. So, Lord, today we came not looking for the natural. We came looking for the supernatural. So open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds to hear, perceive, and understand, God, what your Holy Spirit is speaking, and don't let us miss this moment in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You're free to go. Now, you may not have seen it in the text, but there's some laws that are working. And I want to clarify them by going to Romans chapter 8, so you understand the two that I'm going to talk about. Romans 8, verse 1, it says, and by the way, one of my favorite verses, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life, this is the first, so we got a law here. The law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin. And so we have two laws. We have the law of sin and death and the law of, spirit of, of the spirit of life. So I will explain those in a minute. The law of the spirit of life and the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, 
but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. So we have a higher law and a lower law. So, the, so, so let, me, let me try to help you with two phrases I think that would make sense to everyone. So the law of the spirit of life, I'll give you one word for that. That would be grace. The law of the spirit of life, that's grace. Or you could say the new covenant. The law of sin and death, we would just say that's the law. Or we would say the old covenant. So, so Paul is writing again at the transition of the church after the resurrection of Jesus from a covenant based on law to a covenant based on grace. He is writing to the Romans and explaining grace to them because, again, Jesus came to reach the lost sheep of Israel to the Jew first and then also to the Gentile, Paul would say. And so trying to reach the Jews, they're having to explain that the old covenant was weak and unable to reach the goal and agenda of God. Thus, there had to be a new covenant of grace. So the old covenant of law was based in the performance of man, meaning that the illusion was, and I say illusion because it was impossible, that, that righteousness had to be achieved. The law demands righteousness and says to have a relationship with God, you have to keep the law. The problem is none of us could keep the law. No man could keep the law. You say, by the law, you mean the Ten Commandments? Yes, the Ten Commandments, and you can't even remember all ten, so don't tell me you kept them. But even more than that... Even more than that, were by Jesus' day, they turned the Ten Commandments into 613. They had 613 ways to keep the Ten Commandments. That's what religion's really good at, y'all. Making things complicated, right? And so this old covenant of, of rule-keeping depended on our ability to keep the rules, and none of us could keep the rules, are you with me? So therefore, we had a relationship with rules, but not with Jesus. Welcome to religion. I'm relating to the rules, trying to have a relationship with God. So the law demands righteousness, but then the law of the spirit of life is the free gift of righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus. Faith saying Jesus kept all of the rules. Jesus took my place. He paid for me not being able to, take, to keep the rules. He paid for the penalty of my sin, and he fulfilled all of the rules and all of the law. And now by faith, that's what Paul talks about in Romans 4 when he says, the righteousness of faith. So the law demands righteousness by flesh. Grace grants righteousness by faith. Are you with me? And so these are the two laws, grace and law. This one's all about Jesus. That one's all about you. That's about your ability to keep rules. This is about Jesus' ability to keep rules. That's about your performance. It's about his performance. That relationship is contingent upon your behavior. This relationship is contingent upon what Jesus did. That one's based on your work. This one's based on his work. Are you with me? So these are the two laws that we see. Now, here's, here's the reality. Here's the truth of it. 
We need both of them. We need both of them. One is higher. Grace is higher than law, and I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But we need both. You need both. In fact, you can see both of them at work in John chapter 8. Now, you need to understand, Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the purpose of the law. So Jesus didn't do away with law. He didn't. Do, listen, let me help you something. Grace does not do away with God's standard. Like you, you need to understand that God didn't change his mind on what he thinks is right and wrong. Thus, thus, you know, that's why Paul says, should we just go on sinning so that grace can abound? And he said, that's stupid. I mean, that's a loose paraphrase, I think. I think he said, certainly not. He's like, that's, that's, you're missing the point. God didn't change the standard. He just met it in Christ instead of requiring you to meet it. Are you with me? So we need both. So let's go back to John chapter 8. If you can remember this woman who was caught in adultery, write these. I have four words, not really four points, four words. The first two relate to the, to the law. The second two relate to grace. And so the first one, write this down, caught. Caught. John 8, 4, it said, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act. Caught. This woman is caught. This is what the law does best. It catches you. In fact, this is the number one reason the law was given. Paul said the, 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 uh, the law was given so that the, the trespass would be increased. The law was given so that all of us would be caught. Do you know the same law that caught this woman in adultery had caught the men who were bringing her to Jesus? It catches, it catches everyone. Now, they may not be willing to admit that, but it catches all of us. In fact, that's the reason why I was given Romans 3.19. It says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, look at this, so that every mouth, how many mouths? Every mouth may be stopped and all the world, how much of the world? All the world would become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So this, this is what the law does. The law catches you. And it catches all of us in a different way because we all sin differently. Don't make the mistake of thinking that just because their sin is different than yours, that you are better than them. It catches, it catches all of us. It was written to impute sin. It was written to increase sin. That is why the law was given. When you think about like the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler in the Bible, the story of this guy, he's, he, we're not told who he is. We're told he was wealthy. He was young and he was a man of authority. And so essentially, um, he comes to Jesus and he says, Hey, I've been watching what you're doing. I've been following you on Instagram for a while. I'd like to join up, right? I'd like to get, get on the bandwagon here. I'd like to follow you, be a disciple. 
And Jesus says, no problem, just keep the law. And this guy comes back and says, oh, I've kept all the law since I was a kid. Like, I've kept all of it. Obviously, this man was a church man. And so he said, oh, I've kept all the law. And then this is what Jesus said. This one thing you lack. That's what the law does. It finds the one thing. He said, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And that was the breaking point. That was the deal breaker for this guy because he said, oh, man, I got a lot. I can't sell it. I'm going to hang on to it. See, what the law is really good about doing is finding that one place in your life that maybe you're not honest about, that maybe you think you have covered up. Like, the law is strategic. Like, Jesus wants to fill you with grace, but first he has to empty you of you. And the problem is with most of us, the reason we can't be filled is because we're full of ourselves. And until we're empty of ourselves, we can't be full of Him. And the law points out where you're full of you at. The law also points out to, oh, this is help you out. The law also points out what you've been using to try to fill you up because you're empty. Let's just go, let's just go to the woman at the well for a minute. Because right here, Jesus is like, oh, I'd love, I would love for you to follow me. I'd love to fill you with grace, but you're full of the law and you're full of yourself. And let me tell you the one area where you are really self-reliant and self-sufficient, and this is what's in the way. But then Ben, the woman of the well, he's like, I get it, you're empty, but because you keep pouring in relationships when really what you need is me, I can't help you there either. And so the law is really good about finding the place where we are self-sufficient, self-reliant, full of ourselves. I don't mean that to be harsh, but it's good preaching. I've been full of myself too. Don't have the same deal as you. All right. So, right. And so that's what the law does. And it catches us. It says right here, this is the problem. It catches us. Now, now this is what you need to understand. That's grace. The law was given because God is gracious. Because Paul said it this way, I wouldn't have known what coveting, what coveting was had I not been given the law. The law increases the trespass so that I get caught because you will never change until you get caught. Right Until the pain of not changing exceeds the pain of changing, we typically don't change. And so typically we don't change until we get caught. And that caught can be a big public thing or that caught, caught can be a small private thing. But either way, it is the grace of God that can, like this woman was caught by grace. Do you know why the prodigal son came home? Because there was a famine. Who shut up the rain? Must have been God. He was caught by grace. The most gracious thing God can do for any of us is catch us. Being caught's not bad. 
Being caught's how we get to being good. And can I say something here? Can I say something? I can't have the microphone. I don't know why I'm asking. I guess it makes, I don't know. Is it okay if I say something? You're like, whatever. Um, the law catches you before you come to Jesus. But can I tell you something else? You need the law after you come to Jesus. Because you need to be caught after just as much as you need to be caught before. Because this is what keeps your relationship with Jesus authentic. Because when you start thinking you are sufficient, that you've got it kind of figured out, that you've got it all together, that's when you need to be caught again. Because you are not saved by grace and then you kick your flesh in and you keep your relationship with God based on your performance. That's not how it works. You needed grace to save you and you need grace to sustain you. The only way for you to have a relationship with God, to maintain a relationship with God and to keep a relationship with God is by grace. And so we need the law to catch us before we come to Christ. And after we come to Christ, we need the law to catch us. Lest we get puffed up and arrogant and think we've got it all together. If you are in this room and you think you have it all together, over lunch today, will you ask those around you if you have it all together? <laughs> and brace yourself. Just brace yourself. It's amazing to me. Can I just say something? This is why you need to be caught after you've come to Christ. It's amazing to me. I was in a conversation this week with one of our pastors about a situation, and I said, it's amazing to me how much grace people demand and how little they give. Like, it's, like it's amazing. And I don't want to give any glory to Satan, but just to make the point, like I've had some dear saints of God write me letters and write letters to other people about me that are completely... I mean, it's so stupid, it doesn't even make sense. But I got a letter this week telling me I was unforgivable and essentially should burn in hell from a Christian. And I was like, I'm trying to figure out, now you're a Christian, right? Now you have the same Bible I have, right? Like, I'm sorry, why don't you, why don't you pull the plank out of your eye and then we'll talk about my splinter. Like, I'm like, no wonder people don't go to church. Because Christians demand so much grace and give so little. I'm sorry. I, I probably was too much to share. But, um, but guys, listen, listen, like, we should be the most gracious. And this is why we need the law after we've come to Christ, because it keeps us relying on the grace of God. Because check this, I wasn't good enough before I came to Jesus. And I'm going to tell you this, I'm not good enough after I've come to Jesus. I've been redeemed not by my works, but by his. And I'm held not by my performance, but by his. And I'm sustained not by my ability, but by his grace. Right? Are you with me on this? I needed to be caught then, and I need to be caught every day for the rest of my life. That's why people cut you off. I'm convinced because it catches you. 
Because you'd be driving home from church. Oh, it was so good. That was so good. You are good. Good. Oh. And then somebody catches you off, you know, cuts you off, and you're like, you are and you say words that are not in the Bible. Well, maybe the old King James Bible when it talks about a donkey. <laughs> Come on, that's funny, y'all. Anyways. And you got caught again, and you're like, Lord, forgive me. I got to have your grace today, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Y'all know it's true. Caught. Here's the second word. Brought. Caught. Brought. This, I love this. Verse 3. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught. They brought. This is why I love the law. Because the job of the law is to find the end of my ability. When I find the end of me, I will always look for someone else. And so the law in catching me and bringing me to the end of me is pointing me to someone greater than me. Look at what look at what Paul said to the Galatians. Galatians three twenty four says, "Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith." The law brings us to Jesus. Oh, tell me the law is not grace. It's grace. It's grace because the law says you can't do it. Let's point you to someone who. Can like when you, listen, I think if, if you want to really live and experience the grace of Jesus, you have to live at the end of you because when you are constantly living at the end of you, you are constantly looking for the beginning of Him. And the worst thing can happen is that you forget you were at the end of you. And the worst thing can happen is you think there's still some of you left, or some of you able, or some of you good enough, or no, 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 I couldn't do it. I couldn't keep it. Not only me, but nobody else could. Nobody could keep the law. Nobody was sufficient. I mean, God tried to cut a covenant with Adam, with Noah, with Abraham, with, with David. I mean, you can read all the Bible covenants if you want. And all of them failed because why? They all depended on the flesh of man. And so when you get to the end of the flesh of man, that's where faith in him begins. And so the law catches us, but then what's great is in the catching of us, it points us to him. This is what Jesus told the Pharisees. He said, you search the scriptures. Now, when, when he's talking about scriptures, he's talking about the law and the prophets. So he's talking about the law. And so he said, you're looking at the law because you think you're going to have life in the law by your ability to keep the law. He's like, no, no, your ability to keep the law can't make you alive. See, the, the problem that Jesus came to solve was not behavior. It was death. Are you with me? He did not come saying, I have come that you would be able to act better. I have come so that you will look more religious. I have come that you will speak to each other in King James. 
No, because Jesus knows that you can't legislate morality. Like, I wish you could. We could solve the world's problems if somehow we could just pass laws and criminals would obey them. I've found criminals are criminals because they don't obey laws. So passing more laws doesn't seem to change anything about criminals. Because you can't actually legislate morality. I wish you could. That would be so awesome. And parents, you wish you could too. Because you could have made rules and your kids would have been perfect because you made a perfect set of rules. God made a perfect set of rules and all it did was expose he ain't got any perfect kids. <laughs> right? You, you can't legislate. You can't legislate morality. And that's what Jesus knows. So he's not trying. The law was to show us our immorality so we would come to him who is perfect. The law was never meant to make us perfect. It was meant to bring us to who is perfect so that he can perfect us, not by performance, but by grace. The, the writer of Hebrews is saying, having perfected forever those who are being sanctified. In other words, perfection is now a work of grace and faith. Sanctification is a process of applying grace and faith. It is not something you achieve through the works of your flesh. And so you can't, you can't legislate. And this is what Jesus said. You, you're not going to have life by rule keeping. Jesus like, I came to change something on the inside, not make you look more holy on the outside. Um, Paul said, said, being children of light, then we should live as children of light. Notice, notice, notice that. So he says, identity, then behavior. Behavior cannot change identity. But identity will influence and affect behavior. So grace gives us an identity as a son and a daughter of God. And when he's changed us on the inside, it works its way out. Life on the inside comes out. But you can't keep rules on the outside and become alive on the inside. And that's what Jesus is telling the Pharisees. You're looking at the law and you think your ability to keep the rules is going to somehow make you alive. But the law is just pointing you to me because in me I am life. And I came that you would have life and have it more abundantly. The law points you to me. Here's the, here's the third thing. Write this word down. Delivered. Delivered. I love this picture, John 8, 9. It says, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older sons or the older ones. <laughs> and Jesus was, look at this. Jesus was left alone with the woman. He was left alone. I, I like it because if you read the story and you kind of have to have your holy imagination. Because here are all these Pharisees and scribes and they have brought this woman called in adultery. Obviously, it's a setup. We know it's a setup because we're the man at. Listen, my understanding of how this works is that it's really hard to have adultery without a man and a woman. Or at least two people in our modern culture. However, well, I'm going to get an email now. Anyways. <laughs> I mean, I remember ninth grade health class. That's all I'm saying. You can't just have birds 
And you can't just have bees. You got to have birds and bees to have adultery. So obviously as a setup, and they bring this woman who's caught in adultery. I, my personal opinion is probably the guy was one of the Pharisees. Well, he was taking one for the team because they were really just trying to trap Jesus. And so anyways, they bring this woman. I better, y'all shush. I got to get on with this. It's getting deep. I'm starting to sweat. Um, so, so they caught this, this woman. And, and then they said, the law says that, that she should be stoned. Please notice, Jesus didn't let her off the hook. She had broken the law. The law is right. Paul said the law is holy. The law is righteous. The law is good. It is the law. And it is right. And she broke the law. And it is, they, the law was 100%. You need to understand this. When the law catches you and the law brings you, it's because it's right that it works. Like, it's like the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. What's he accuse you with? The stuff you actually did. That's why it works. Because you're like, yeah, I was there. I did it. Yeah. And so Jesus, though, he's like, I'm not going to respond because he's working something they ain't never seen before. I'm sorry if you're not from Texas. They haven't ever seen before. And he stoops down and he starts writing. And it's such a cool picture because he's probably writing on stone with his finger which is what the law was. But I personally think, now, when we, when we get to heaven, I don't know about y'all, I have some questions. I already have a list of things I'm going to need to ask God when I get there. Does anyone else, would you be so honest to say, I love Jesus, but I got questions. I got questions. I got a long list of questions, right? I've got questions for Adam. Like, I think we get to heaven. Like, St. Peter opens the gate, and then the first person standing there is Adam, and he just kind of looks at you. He's like, my bad. <laughs> I, I think that's, I just think that's like the understatement of eternity right there. My bad. <laughs> really, that's the best you got, Adam? Anyways, <laughs> that's why Adam has security in heaven. Um, but I got questions. I got questions. And one of the questions I'm going to have, because I want to know if I'm right, because I love it, because Jesus bends down, and he's riding with his finger on the stone ground, which is a picture of the law. But then what happens next is what's intriguing to me because the Pharisees and scribes start leaving one by one, starting with the oldest down to the... So there is a sequential order here. And in my opinion, we'll ask when we get there. I think Jesus... That second time, like he was writing on stone, and that second time he stood up, then he stooped back down, and I think he just thought, who's the oldest here? Bob. Bob. And then he started writing the commandments they had broken most recently. And then he's like, who's next? James. Okay, James, we'll just go with you there. And, and then who's that? Juan. Okay, Juan, we're going to take care of you, brother. Jorge. All right, we got you. George. All right. And I think that's why, that's why it says then oldest to young. Cause I think after a little while, I know me, I'd be like, I'm leaving. Cause he's going to get to me next. I don't like, I'm, I got to go. You know what I'm saying? And, and I, I mean, we'll ask when we get there, but that's what I think was happening. But here's the beautiful picture. It says, then Jesus was left alone with the woman. And this is what Jesus did for her. And this is what Jesus did for you. For you. He did not excuse her. 
and he did not let her off the hook. She had broken the law. What he did is he stepped in between her and the law and he removed her from the law by becoming the mediator for the law. Oh my God, that's great preaching, y'all. Like he did the same thing for her that he does for you. This is what Galatians 3.13 says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by doing what? By becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham comes to the Gentiles so we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Peter said in his body, he bore our sin. Colossians says that he took the handwriting of debts that we owed and he took them to the cross and they were nailed with him on the cross. This is what Jesus did for her. He didn't say, it's okay, we all mess up, go and do better next time. That's not what he said. He didn't say, it's okay, I'm gonna let you off the hook today. It's okay, the law shouldn't apply. No, he's like, they're right. The law is 100% right. And the law caught you and the law brought you. And now the law has brought you to the threshold of grace. And I will step in as a mediator of a new covenant between God and man and separate you from the penalty of the law by becoming the curse and taking the condemnation and the judgment and the penalty and the death. I'll step in between and I'll mediate for you a better covenant. Not based on your performance, but based on my performance. Y'all calm down. And that's why we get to Paul and he says, there is therefore now no, you know what I love about that verse? My favorite word in that verse, you know this now. Because now works every day. It's not then. And it's not tomorrow. It's now. It's not later. Because if you mess up today, now. There is no condemnation. You mess up tomorrow, now. Sometimes you just need, sometimes you just got to look at the devil and say, now. There is no condemnation. Now, you need to understand why there is no condemnation, though. There's no condemnation because he removed you from the law and the law condemns. Now, how did he remove you from the law? He died. Romans 6 says he died so I can die with him. I am crucified with Christ so I no longer live. Well, if I'm not alive, the law doesn't apply. The law can't condemn a dead person says that I have died that the body of sin might be done away with. So because I died with him, I can't be condemned. Condemnation has to do with the penalty and the punishment that I'm owed. You got to understand. You got to understand. You have to understand that he paid. When we say Jesus paid it all, he really paid it all. Because a lot of times we show up in church and we sing he paid it all while believing he paid it some. Because we think, we think we have a part in this that we have to behave a certain way to maintain our status. And the truth is he paid it all. 
And when you, when you start going, listen, the reason condemnation doesn't apply is because the Bible says we are not under law, but under grace. The law of the spirit of life has freed us from the law of sin and death. Why? Because we died with him so we could be raised with him. So I'm no longer under the law that condemns. I'm under grace that has freed me and made me righteous. Now I need to understand that because the application of condemnation is two things. Number one, it's punishment for what I did. And number two, it is disapproval because of what I did. You need to understand this is not Bible. This is Webster's. You need to understand both applications. That because I'm not under law, I cannot be condemned for breaking the law. Jesus took the penalty for your sin. Now, please understand, I'm not saying he takes the consequence for your sin. He took the penalty. And you need to understand when people say, I'm under grace, do whatever. Yeah, you can do whatever you want, but there's consequences. Like he did not remove the consequences of this lady's adultery. He removed the penalty. Are you with me? I have found in my life, when I do dumb stuff, consequences exist. But I also have found when I do dumb stuff, the penalty has still been paid. Are you with me? And so, so because he removed us from the law, then we can't be condemned. Why? Because he was judged for us. He was sentenced in our place. And he was condemned so that we could never be condemned. And because I'm not under the law, because the law of the spirit of life has made me free from the law of of sin and death, now I can't be condemned, which means I'm not going to have to pay for my sin. If you sin today, if your faith is in Christ, you sin today, you will not have to pay the penalty of your sin, which is death. There may be consequence, but there won't be penalty. But here's what's even better. It's also the disapproval. I want you to try to understand that God, I'm not saying he won't disapprove if you do dumb stuff. I'm saying he will never disapprove of you. Because when he looks at you, you are in Christ. And Christ was rejected so that you could be accepted. And now there's no condemnation, meaning there is no penalty and no disapproval for the sin and the wrong that I've committed. Like if, if you could, if you could, if you could get that, how would that change your life to know God's not out to get you and he's not giving you disapproving looks all the time that God is out to bless you. And in order to bless you, he disapproved of his son and allowed him to pay for what you did. And because, listen, do you understand the law of double jeopardy? Meaning in our system, if you, if you are tried and not found guilty, you can't be tried again for the same crime. Do you understand that because God is just, he cannot punish you for your sin? Because he already punished Jesus. And for him to punish Jesus for your sin and then punish you for your sin would be unjust. It would essentially be the law of double jeopardy. Your sin really was paid. So God will not condemn you because he already condemned Jesus in your stead. And so you are free from condemnation because of Jesus. Here's the last word. Write this down. Freed. Caught, brought, delivered, freed. Freed. 
And so Jesus said, hey, where are those that condemn you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, here's the power of no condemnation. Notice the order. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is Jesus. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Please notice the order. He removes condemnation and then says, now go and live righteously. You can't live righteously until condemnation is removed because condemnation keeps you under law. And the law is the strength of sin. That's what Paul said. The law is the strength of sin. Meaning, if I live under law, I'm going to struggle with sin. You don't believe me? If you have little kids, this would be a fun experiment. A pastor friend did this one time. But there was a little kid's birthday party. And he just thought he'd had fun. So he told each kid as they arrived, listen, go have fun, swim in the pool, pet the horse, whatever. One thing, we all have one rule. Don't spit on that flower. It's the only rule. Have all the fun you want. Just don't spit on that flower. Anyone want to guess? Like just wild guess. He, he said, by, by the end of the party, every child had spat on that flower and some multiple times. Because the strength of sin is the law. And condemnation pulls me under law. That's why the devil is the accuser. Because the devil knows if I pull you under law, there's death right? There's sin. So he's all the time trying to pull you back under law so that you'll struggle. And that's why Jesus says, no, you need to understand you are free from condemnation. You are free from the law and you are now free to live in Christ. You're, you're now free to live on this side. You need to understand you've been set free. You are now free from this. That's why I said you're not under law, but now you're under grace. Grace provides righteousness. Grace supplies righteousness. The law demands it. Grace supplies it. Under grace, we are not living for righteousness like under the law. We are living from righteousness that is in God. And that's why that we have to understand we've been delivered from the law. We don't relate to God through the law. We relate to God through the life-giving spirit because the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Our relationship with God now is through the spirit, not through the law. And you need to understand grace is higher than law. How do I know? Because Paul said, foolish Texans, who has tricked you that you thought what you could begin under grace, you could complete through the law? I think he was right in Galatians, but we'll use Texans. Because everything's bigger in Texas. Probably sin is. I don't know. Anyways, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Obviously, Las Vegas is not in Texas. I'm just kidding. But, but notice he said, he said, you have... He says this, you, you thought you could finish what you started in grace through the law. And then he says this, you are fallen from grace. Fallen, meaning grace was higher. Amen. Right? It's kind of like lift and gravity. If you stop lift, gravity is still there and you fall. 
right? And he said, you have fallen from grace. Now, this is what Christians for years have said fallen from grace means. It means you sinned. That's not what Paul thought it meant. He meant when he said you've fallen from grace, it means you had started depending on your ability to keep the law. Which, by the way, is a tendency for all religious people and all Christians. Because as we live and as we grow, we get better and better and better and better, which is good because what? The Bible says, remember, grace is higher. Why is it higher? Because under grace, I don't have this outward confirmation of righteousness. I have an inward transformation of identity. And so because of grace, I have a new spirit and a new heart and a new mind and a new nature working in me, producing in me the fruit of the Spirit. It, right? And so it's something. And so because of that, I do get better. My behavior does get better. Not because I'm focused on behavior, but because I'm focused on relating to God by the Holy Spirit and not trying to find God through a bunch of rules. But because of that, I do get better, right? And that's great. And we get better. And then we keep getting better. And then we keep getting better. And all of a sudden we think we're good because we're good instead of we're good because God is good. And if you've ever fallen, let me tell you what falling from grace looks like. Is when you pray and you remind God how good you're doing in a context of why isn't he doing for you what you think he should. Or when you pray and you remind God that other people are not doing as good as you, but yet they got a blessing you wanted. You have fallen from grace. Because now, having begun in grace, you're telling God you're good enough to deserve some things. And the moment you do that, you are putting yourself under law and opening yourself up for condemnation. And that's why Paul's like, you foolish Galatians. Why would you think that you could start in grace and finish with the law. No, you start with grace and you finish with grace. You needed it then, you need it now. It caught, the law caught you and the law brings you. It caught you before, it caught you after. It brings you before, it brings you after and it does that to bring you to grace because you need grace before you needed it and now that you have grace, you still need it. Grace is higher than law because under grace, the Spirit of God is my connection to God, not a list of rules and the law tells me when I did bad grace tells me when I'm about to like a warning light on the dashboard of your car you have the thought is you're like grace is higher than law And it frees you from law and it frees you from condemnation and it frees you from guilt and it frees you from shame because all of those things found their fulfillment and their ending in Christ. And he stood just like this woman caught and brought in adultery. Jesus grace steps in and says, I'll take her adultery. I'll take her sin 
and I will mediate a covenant for her that is not based on her performance. It's going to be based on my performance. Her relationship with God is not going to be obtained through these rules. It's going to be obtained by what I do, and I'm going to mediate it, and I'm going to hold on to it, and I'm going to give her grace, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that frees her from the law of sin and death. Come on, can you give Jesus one more praise? Why don't you stand with me? God, thank you so much. Thank you so much, God, for the grace of Jesus. God, for being so good. For being so good. Will you take a moment and just ask the Holy Spirit today, ask God what he's saying to you. Even if you're watching online at home, don't turn it off from wherever you're watching. Just take a moment. Doesn't even matter when you're watching it. Maybe next week, but whenever you're watching it, just take a moment. Say, God, what are you saying to me? And God, I pray, I pray you'd speak to every person, to every heart, to every life. And while we're all listening, just for God to speak to us, our heads are bowed and was looking around. I just want to give an opportunity if there's anyone in this room and you're like, you know what, I'm at the end of me. And, and I want to find him. Like maybe during the message you got caught and you got brought. <laughs> and you're like, man, I just want to receive the grace of God and the goodness of God. And trust in his faithfulness and trust in who he is and trust in what he's done. And I want a relationship with God that's by the spirit and not by the law. And that's you. I want to pray for you, whether you're online or whether you're in the room. And I'm going to ask you to do something that's really between you and God. It's, that's not for me. No one's looking around. But if that's you and you're like, hey, that's me. I'm at the end of me and I, I, I want to start in him. Then will you just lift your hand up where you're at? Even if you're in a living room all by yourself, just lift your hand up and say, hey, that's me. And then I just want to pray with you, whether you're in this room or online. And it's really, you use your words. It's, it's the heart that's important. But you'd pray something like this. You'd say, God, I believe in in your son, Jesus, I believe that he died and rose again for me. I believe that he really paid all. He paid all for me. And I ask you, God, forgive me and cleanse me to make me a new creation. Help me to follow you. And God, I pray as they pray that prayer, God, that you would transform them, that you would change them, that they would sense your presence. They would know you. They would hear you. They would experience your love, your faithfulness, your grace. God, I pray for all of us in this room. Let us never, never rely on ourselves, never rely on the law, but God, always live every day in the freedom, in the freedom of your grace. 
and the freedom of your grace. And God, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Yeah, God is good. Um, I'm going to ask our prayer team to come, and we end all of our worship experiences with a time of prayer for anyone who needs prayer for anything. It would be our honor. If you're at home today and you need prayer, my pathway prayer, you can text that to 77977. It would be our honor to pray with you. Everyone else, we say a big God bless you. We love you. Have an amazing day. If you need prayer, we'd love to meet with you here. Everyone else, we say we will see you next weekend. God bless you.